Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. So question for everybody. Um, what do you call the time during the week between like the hours of like 4 p.m., 7 p.m. at a lot of bars and restaurants where after a long day of hard work, you can stop by for discounted drinks and even food? What's that called? Okay, y'all are way too familiar with the happy hour, aren't you? <laughs> happy hour, wow. Okay, um, so did you know that the term happy hour actually originated with the United States Navy? Uh, in the 1920s, happy hour was a slang for a scheduled entertainment period uh, on board a ship during which boxing and wrestling bouts took place, and it was an opportunity for sailors uh, to let off steam that it uh, you know, accumulated during long periods at sea, kind of like the original Fight Club or something, right? But happy hour. Now, that's why happy hour is so popular. People are looking today, looking today to, you know, to let off steam. Uh, that has accumulated in their lives, and uh, they're looking to replace it with a little bit of, you know, short-term happiness. But the shortfall of happy hour is right there. You know, it, it only lasts for a few hours. And then, you know, when it's over, when you head back home, back to what? Back to reality, right? In fact, one of the problems with happiness is that right there, is that it comes and goes, right? But everyone's searching for happiness. I mean, we look for happiness today in all, all sorts, of, sorts of places, right? In relationships, in careers, in the things we buy, in the activities that we engage in. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, really, there's nothing wrong with, you know, wanting to be happy. The more important issue, though, is long-term, what is going to be the source of your happiness? And all too often, we depend on someone or something else as our source. And then, you know, once that uh, person or that thing leaves you or lets you down, you're left unhappy. You see, ultimately, God wants something more for you than just happiness. He wants all of us to experience joy. Joy. Now, What's the difference between happiness and joy? Because they sound very similar and sometimes we use them interchangeably, but I think happiness is the result of something working out in your favor in your life. Joy, on the other hand, is a choice you make before you even know the end result. Again, happiness is based on your happenings. In other words, it's based on what's happening to me, my circumstances. You know, if the sun, you know, is happening, you know, happens to be shining and people are nice to you and you're having a good hair day, you know, everything's going well, right? Then you're happy. But if your circumstances change and things aren't going well, then you're not happy. Joy comes from God. It is a fruit, a byproduct of the Holy Spirit living in your life. It's not based on emotions or what may or may not be happening to me on, on any given day or a season of my life. It is that, that confident assurance that no matter what happens, God is still in control 
and that ultimately he's going to work everything together for good according to his sovereign plan. It rises above circumstances. You know, it's why we're able to experience the, you know, what we say, the, the joy of the Lord in the midst of pain, in the midst of hardship and suffering. And so today, that's what I want us to talk about. This fruit of, of joy as we continue in this series on the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So Galatians 5, and 23 says, hopefully you've all been memorizing this verse already. I hope you've enjoyed uh, your daily devotions uh, this week, uh, this past week, and we're going to continue that on through the series. Galatians 5, and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Circle the word joy in that verse. God wants to cultivate joy in your life. Now last week when we talked about love, we, uh, we went to that classic uh, passage of Scripture uh, on love. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? Well today as we talk about joy, I want us to go to the book of the Bible that is best known for understanding and discovering joy. It's the book of Philippians. Now let me give you a little bit of background on this little letter uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote, okay? So for the last four years of his life, he'd had some absolutely miserable, miserable circumstances. He was falsely imprisoned uh, for two years in uh, Caesarea on a trumped-up charge, and then he's uh, put on a ship to go uh, to Rome uh, to appear before Nero. Now, Nero is not exactly known for his niceties uh, to believers, but on the way, he is shipwrecked, okay? The original castaway, and he's stranded on an island. He's bitten by a poisonous snake. He wastes an entire season, winter there, and he finally is picked up, and he's taken to Rome, and then he spends another two years in prison awaiting trial to be executed. Not only that, but during this two-year period in Rome, he is chained to a guard 24 hours a day. He has absolutely no privacy, and the guard changes every four hours. So you and I complain about having a bad day. You know, if there was ever anybody who had reason to have just a huge, gigantic pity party, it was this guy. And yet, in spite of all of these terrible circumstances, the Apostle Paul, while in prison, chained up, says this in Philippians 4.4. In fact, this is your memory verse for this week. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Really? So my question is, Paul, what is your secret? I mean, how in the world do you do that? How do you stay positive in prison? How do you stay so joyful that in, sp in, in spite of the fact that everything has crumbled around you and that nothing has turned out the way that you planned it? How do you do that? Well, fortunately, in this little letter, uh, he gives us some secrets. He gives us some reasons why. Number one, if you're going to have joy no matter what, you need a new point of view. A new perspective on life. Guess what? Everybody in here has problems. You're either coming out of one, you're in the middle of one, 
or you're headed toward one. Okay, life is a series of problems. Now, your problems are really not as important as how you are looking at those problems. Your perspective, your point of view. And it's that that makes all the difference, no matter what you might be going through. So what was Paul's perspective? Here's what he says, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to what? What does he say? Advance the gospel. Wow. He's actually saying that, that I can see the best even in the worst. No matter what happens, I can still see God at work in my problems even when things don't go my way. And, and despite of all of that, he says the gospel is being advanced. People are getting saved and believers are being encouraged. And then he explains that further in verse 13. Listen to this. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. That's his perspective. I'm in chains for Christ. Now you need to know something. Paul always wanted to go to Rome. I mean, that was his plan. That was his big idea. You know, now I really believe that he wanted to go and like rent the Colosseum or something, right? And just hold a big evangelistic crusade and, and preach the gospel in the streets. But God had another idea, another plan. God's idea was to put him in prison where he would happen to write most of the New Testament. Which had a bitter, bigger impact. And, and notice that he's chained to the palace guard. The, the term there is the praetorian guard, and they were the elite of the elite of the Roman Empire. They were personally selected by Caesar. They were his bodyguards. They were typically the highest paid people in the empire. And when they retired after 12 years of service, they were actually made leaders in Rome. There could not have been a more strategic group of people for Paul to have witnessed to while he was in Rome. And so God puts Paul in Rome. And what's hilarious is that he lets Nero put the bill for it and he chains him to a future leader of Rome every four hours. Let me ask you, who was the real prisoner? In fact, I figured out that in two years, with four-hour shifts, Paul had 4,380 opportunities to witness to the guards and future leaders of Rome. Man, you think about that. I mean, in the midst of just terrible circumstances, they watch him write most of the new testament they watch him pray without ceasing worship and sing in, in, in the middle of, of hardship and suffering in fact the bible says that these guys had an inside track to the emperor and later on in chapter four uh, in fact it says that some of nero's own family became believers in fact history tells us that his wife his mother and his children nero had all of them killed because they became believers Paul had a captive audience. And he basically said, hey, I'm in prison, but so what? God has a bigger plan, a bigger perspective. And because of that, unbelievers are finding out about the good news and 
other people are being encouraged and strengthened. In fact, he says that in verse 14. Listen to this. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He's basically saying, my attitude toward my problems has encouraged other people and now they're becoming more bold in their witness. Listen, courage is contagious. Now here's the point of view that we need to have if we're going to have this lasting joy. Okay? And it's this. God has a purpose behind every one of my problems. Listen, all the stuff of life that you go through, all the ups and the downs, the hardship, the difficulty, the pain, God's got a purpose for it. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And what that reminds me is that God has, if we allow Him, if we allow Him, God has this amazing, miraculous ability to bring about good from our pain, from our problems, from a pandemic, from death. Listen, you know, when I was uh, 14 years old, my dad died, and I, I struggled with that. And now I look back on it, and I know, I, I know that God didn't cause my dad to die, but you know what? He used it in my life. He used it in a powerful way. I became a believer. I became a pastor. What's your perspective on the pain and the problems that you're going through? Number two, I need a new priority. I need a new priority. In other words, when things do get tough, you got to know, hey, what is really important in life? And sometimes you've got to really distinguish between, you know, the trivial and the significant. And sometimes it's even the good you know, this is good, nothing wrong with it, but from the best. Because the fact is, you are going to live your life either based on problems and pressures or your priorities. And you will either decide what's important in your life or you're going to let other people decide what's important. And so if you don't choose... You're going to just go around putting out one fire after another fire after another fire, just living your life from problem to problem, from pressure to pressure, rather than you deciding what's important. You know, in verses uh, 15 through 17, Paul basically goes on to say, you know, not only am I in prison here, not only is this difficult and hard, but if you want to kick a man when he's down, there's these people on the outside who are attacking me. They're jealous, they're envious, they're critical, even while I'm in prison. In fact, he's, he, he basically says that some of them are preaching, but they're doing so for their own selfish gain. Now, if you want something to steal your joy quicker than anything else, you just let somebody start criticizing, criticizing you while you're down. And yet Paul says this in verse 18. But what does it matter? But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached. And because of this, I, what? What's he say? Rejoice. You know what Paul is saying? I'm not going to let anybody steal my joy. What's that phrase today? Haters going to what? Haters going to hate. 
He said, I don't got time to mess with that. You know, there are more important things in, uh, in life to focus on. Listen, their motives might be wrong. They might be in the wrong. But you know what basically he says? You know what? God's going to take care of that. You know, that, that's between them and God. Their style might be different, and they might be doing it for selfish mo motives, and they're crit critical of me, but so what? I've got to set my priorities and my values. I can't let little things or little people steal my joy. Will you? Let me ask you, how many arguments have you had in your marriage that are over little things that don't really matter? Is it worth losing your joy over? You know, I wrote a Facebook post this morning, you know, yep, Clemson won. I mean, Clemson lost. I wish they won. I do. You know, I don't want them to lose. They lost. They didn't play good. The better team won yesterday. You know, I, I, got, I know people in my life that when their team, wh whoever it might be, loses, man, they let it ruin their day, their week, the way they treat other people. Seriously. Let me ask you. What have you done that, you know, how have you responded that way in your life when things don't go your way? You see, the lesson is to focus on what really counts, what really matters. So what's that? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in the Old Testament, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. That's what counts. Seek His will above all else. Put God first. And in the New Testament, Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. Put God first. That's what really counts. That's what matters. That's the priority. So if you're going to live a joyful life no matter what, in spite of your problems, in spite of your circumstances, number three, you're going to need a new power. You're going to need a strength to make it, to keep on keeping on. Guys, listen, life can beat you down. Life will wear you out, am I right? It will, it's hard. I heard a story about a man who went to see his doctor, and the doctor basically told him that he had six months to live. Six months. And the guy was devastated. He said, Doc, is there anything I can do? Seriously, I will do it. Anything. Tell me. And the doctor said, well... There is one thing. And the man was like, seriously, what is it? Tell me, I will do it. And the man said, the doctor said, well, my wife's sister is a widow, and she's got six small children. I would recommend you call her up and ask her to marry you. And the man said, Doc, is that going to make me live longer? And the doctor said, no, not really, but it'll make it seem a lot longer. Okay? <laughs> now, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way that, you know, because of what you're dealing with, what you're going through, that life is kind of like that? That you're just tolerating till the bitter end. You're just enduring. No joy. And the fact is, one crisis after another after another can drain you and cause you to lose your energy and your strength. And some of you this morning, man, that's how you feel. 
You came in here today and you are ready to throw in the towel. You are ready to throw in the towel on your marriage. You are ready to throw in the towel on your career. You're ready to give up on your children. You're ready to give up on your dream. And you say, Pastor Chris, I've done the best I can and it's not good enough and I'm tired and I'm sick and I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Look what Paul said in verses 19 and 20. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I got two things that give me strength, that have kept me going in spite of four years of imprisonment and hardship. Number one, the prayers of other people. Man, I thank God for the people who pray for me every day. I depend on that. I need that. You do too. The prayers of other people. And number two, the help of God's Holy Spirit. He said, I don't depend on my own strength to make it. I got other people who pray for me, and I have the help of the Holy Spirit. He said, I eagerly expect and, and hope. You can't live without hope. A university did a study of um, 25,000 prisoners of war from, from World War II. And they found out that human beings have the capacity to handle tremendous amounts of stress and pressure as long as we have one thing, hope. The moment hope is gone, you're doomed. Let me ask you, where do you get your hope to keep keeping on? Where do you get your hope, your strength to stay true in your marriage? Where do you get it to, to hang in there day in and day out? You, you, you might say, well, I just, you know, I'm a self-made man. I just pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and uh, I put my hope in myself. Well, good for you. The rest of us, we're not always that strong. I know I'm not. What's God's answer to a personal energy crisis? Philippians 4.13, one of my favorite verses. Many of you have this memorized. What does it say? Philippians 4.13, For I can do some things through Christ who gives me strength. If you heard me preach long enough, you knew I was going to do that, right? It doesn't say that. For I can do what? Everything. Does that include financial problems? Yep. Marriage difficulties? Absolutely. Sobriety, you bet. Every kind of problem. That's the lesson. With God's power, nothing can devastate me. Nothing can devastate me, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And that's not a Pollyanna view of life. Again, hardships are real, pain, suffering, death, but God will see me through it. 
Number four, to have joy no matter what, I need a new purpose. A new purpose. Listen, at this point in his life, Paul is old, he's tired. He's been in prison now multiple times for four years. They've taken away, you know, the people in his life, you know, his close friends, they're no longer there, his privacy, his freedom. They've basically taken away every single thing that they can take except for one thing that can never be taken away from you. And that's a purpose to live for. Look at verse 21 of chapter 1. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, Paul's not suicidal. That's, that's not what's happening here. He's just saying, you know what? I'm not afraid of death. Man, I know Jesus. We are good friends. I will, I will get out of this rotten prison. Death for me is just a transfer. It's really a promotion. To die is gain. I get to be with Jesus. But as long as I am still alive, as long as my heart is still beating and there is, lung, there, there is breath in, in my lungs, I have a purpose for life. He says, for me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. So here's a question for all of us today. What about you? How would, how would you fill in that blank? For me, to live is... You know, a lot of people would, today would say, for me, to live is uh, stuff. You know, possessions. You know, buy this thing. You know, you'll have happiness, ultimate bliss. You know, it, it's the idea that you can purchase happiness and some people will say well you know the reason my life is so miserable and i'm not very happy is that i don't drive a new car my house is too small listen i've said this before it's crazy we will buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like that much that can't be the answer other people will say well for me to live is you know pleasure you know, if it feels good, what? Do it. And so every weekend, it's as though we got this great escape, and people are looking for something to fill that void in their life. You know, just get away. Get away from their problems. You know, go to the beach. Go golfing, fishing, skiing. Go to the races. Go to the game. Go to the mountains. Anywhere, anything that just might relieve my boredom and my unhappiness. But then Monday morning rolls around. And you still live the life you live. Many people would fill in the blank with, well, for me, you know, to live is, you know, power or, you know, status. And, and uh, you know, listen, when my kids were little and they would go outside and play or they would do something, you know, on, on the floor. And, and I can remember, like, maybe teaching them to, you know, ride their bike or something. And they would constantly be saying things like, watch me, daddy, watch me, you know, watch me, you know, whatever it was they were doing, watch me. And today, in 2021, I see adults doing that all the time. Watch me. Watch me. Watch me. See the car I drive, the clothes I wear, the house I live in, the things I buy. Watch me. Watch me. How do I look to other people? Listen, that's a lousy life objective. You see, the problem with all of that, the problem with possessions and pleasure and power, they don't last. 
They don't last a lifetime, much less on into eternity, and they are not going to fill that void in your heart. I mean, if that were true, then the people who had the most, do the most, know the most people would be the happiest. And that is not true. So Paul shares a bigger goal, a more long-term goal. You know what he was encouraging us to do? Hey, just look at your life in, in light of eternity. You know, this life here, what we live, is just one little grain of sand on the beach of eternity. And so he says this in Philippians 3, Forgetting what is behind, that's my past, and straining toward what is ahead, that's my future, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Somebody once said, the best use of your life is to invest it in something that will outlast it. Let me tell you something. I am a believer in Jesus. I am a Christian, honestly, not because I am afraid that I might die tonight, but because I know that I've got to live today. I've got to live tomorrow. And even if there were not something as glorious as heaven, it would be worth becoming a believer just for the joy on this side of eternity. But the fact is, only a fool would go all through life unprepared for something that you all know eventually is going to happen. And that is death. You know, we talk about people having terminal illnesses. Let me let you in on a little secret. You ready for this? We're all terminal. We are. So, why does God leave you here on earth after you become a follower of Jesus. I mean, why didn't it just, you know, zap you and, and uh, at that point take you on up into heaven? He leaves you here, get this, for the benefit of other people. That's the purpose. To tell people who don't know the Lord the good news. To encourage them. You know, in the next few verses, Paul Basically, you kind of see this, his, what's happening in his mind, and, and he basically says, hey, there, there's a battle going on in my mind. You know, I'm, I'm torn between the two. I really am. You know, whether or not just to, to kick the bucket and go ahead and die and be with the Lord, which obviously would be great. I mean, I'm ready to do that instead of, you know, right here in prison. But I am convinced of this, that if I'm going to stay here, God still has a purpose for my life. You know, one of the reasons why I'm convinced that there's so much unhappiness and so many discouraged people is because in our world right now, there is this total preoccupation with self. Self. You know, what's, what's best for me? What's in it for me? What will make me happy? Self-love, self-care. And I get it. I, I do. You know, well, you can't love others until you love yourself. Okay, I understand that. But listen, what you learn is that, that you have a greater purpose in your life than just yourself. And when you really understand that, listen, you will have more joy than you know what to do with. What are you living for? Man, so many people today are, are giving first-class allegiance to second-class causes. 
you know, a lot of time and energy and money and, and focus on stuff that ultimately, at the end of your life, is really not going to matter. And it's as though you are climbing a ladder and you're getting to the top and one day you're going to find out it is leaning against the wrong wall and you're going to wind up saying, is this all there is? I gave my life for this? So again, how would you complete that sentence? How would you fill in that blank? For me, to live is... I want to suggest to you that there is only one answer that that there's only one answer to that blank that is going to last years from now and on into eternity. There is only one answer that is going to flood your life with a joyful confidence that nothing in this world could ever take away for me to live is Jesus Christ. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about having a personal love relationship with the one who made you. Listen, God made you to love you and for you to love him back and then for you to share that love with the world around you where you live, work, parent, and play. At the end of his life, Acts 20, 24, Paul said this, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That's the purpose. Listen, you're not here by accident. You're not here just to take up space God made you for a purpose to love him and to share that love with others and when you discover that and you're and you get right in the center of it man it fits and it fills that void and it fills your life with a joy that could be never take that can never be taken away. What about you? Have you discovered that yet? Maybe maybe you are already a believer and you have allowed the circumstances of this world to rob you of your joy. Come home. Come back to God. He's calling you. That's why you're here. Others of you, maybe you're here today and you've not yet taken that first step of faith. And that's, that's what it is. There's no doubt. It's a step of faith. Maybe you don't have it all figured out yet. You don't have to. And let me tell you something. This is a, this is a safe place, this, this church, for you to come with your questions, with your doubt. I mean, we tell people all the time, God's love for you, it is big enough to handle your doubts, your questions, even your anger. He loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die in your place. Because it's your sin, it's, it's our inability to 
you know, to do the right thing for the right reasons. And it's, it's the sin in our life that somebody had to pay for. And God said, you know what? I'll do it. I'll allow my son to be the sacrifice for your sin. And if you'll just put your faith in him, if you'll just take that step of faith, he will run to you. He will make up all the distance. He will embrace you. He will fill your life with his own Holy Spirit. And he will begin to produce joy in your life. You can have that today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I do thank you for joy. This byproduct of just abiding in Jesus. The Holy Spirit living and and working in our lives. Not that we're not going to have a lot of hardship and difficulty on this side of eternity. But that we can have the confident assurance that you will see us through. For to me, to live is Jesus and to die is gain. What about you? Come home. You know, if you're ready to take that step of faith, take it right now. Just pray something like this in your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I do believe. As much as I know how, as much as I understand, I believe that you have a purpose for my life and that's found in Jesus. I believe that he went to the cross to pay for me, my life, my sin, And that he rose from the dead to prove his power and to prove that he is who he said he was. And Father, for the rest of my life now, I just want to become more and more like you see me. I just, I want to live for Jesus. I want to follow him day by day. Thank you. We love you and we pray these things today in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.